Hi, everybody. My name is Jack Cole, and I'm the host of your second episode of Everyday Reframe. This is a podcast series brought to you by Motivate Design, where I also serve as the Director of Design and Client Experience. So just like last week, we're going to be digging into conversations, perspectives, and case stories, touching on real-life situations that people of all backgrounds encounter. And today, I'll be talking to a woman by the name of Hyla Fine. Hyla is a customer understanding professional she brings to the field about 20 years of experience working for such well-known brand names as Wells Fargo and Nike. We first came into contact with Hyla about a year ago while she was at Nike, where we had done a project for her doing customer research, where she was heading up a global team and helping them to t- do better storytelling for the work that they do. So in the interview, we'll be talking a little bit about her background, um, you know, what what learning she's had both early in her career and then later on. She'll also talk about what her best self looks like and how she gets there. She'll get into a couple things around a challenge or challenges that she's run into. And then finally, the motivators that are in her life. Sometimes that, that could be a personal thing or an event or just an overall challenge or mandate that she gives to herself, or essentially the reason why she gets up in the morning. It was a really great interview, and I'm really hoping that uh, you enjoy it as much as I did. And I have a little bit that I'll add to at the end where we were speaking after we were recording and she got into what her definition of reframe is, which was really mind blowing for me. And uh, I'll just leave a little teaser that it has a connection to Sylvester Stallone, which uh, just was really super entertaining and I really want to bring up uh, and is definitely going to be something that we have to come back to her for a future podcast episode as a follow up and talk a little bit more about. So with that, I'd love to give you the interview with Hyla. Thank you today, Hyla, for joining me. I'd like to introduce you. Your name is Hyla Fine. You are a customer insights manager with extensive experience launching and leveraging qualitative and quantitative research programs to inform business decisions. Hyla, thank you for joining the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a great pleasure. Uh, so just a little bit about how I know Hyla. Um, I had the great pleasure of working with Hyla uh, just about a year ago at Nike, uh, helping to facilitate a workshop around research and ideation. And it was a great pleasure to not only have the opportunity to go on, on site and meet Hyla and a lot of her colleagues, but the more important thing that I really got out of it was the fact that the collaboration between she, myself, and others on our team was just really phenomenal, which is hence the reason why I thought it was a great opportunity to speak with you today. So Hyla, uh, maybe I'd love to have, have a start by just going into a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of you know background, education, et cetera. Um, thank you again for inviting me. It's a great honor to be here. Um, very interested in the topic and, and look forward to hearing the other podcasts that you put together on this topic and hearing from others as well. Um, So a little bit about me, Uh, my background, interest and passion is essentially people, but most more specifically, I am so interested in how people process information and make decisions, including how do they remember information, how do they act on that information, et cetera. And so that's what my background is. I went to grad school in um, social psychology, which is essentially that, and that was my angle and and why I got so fascinated in it. 
Um, when I left graduate school, I landed in a job that surprised me too, but it was a company that did political polling. That wasn't exactly what I was interested in, but it was extremely interesting because coming off a of graduate school where you learn so much about the science behind doing research, um, it was an opportunity to see sampling methodology in action. Um, because you you look at who will be likely to turn out in an election, you go off and you talk to those individuals and you're you come back with a prediction of at what percent will a certain measure pass and then election day arrives and you get to see where you write or not and why or why not. So it ended up being such a great experience um, to see sampling in action and to see research in action with an actual outcome to see to, to compare what we thought to what actually happened. Um, after that, I, I went further into market research and in that polling company, um, I, I actually, because of my interest in market research, started um, doing more and more in that practice in corporate market research. And then I moved from that and went to another uh, market research vendor. And again, just had the opportunity to work on a variety of topics for a variety of clients um, using a variety of methodologies. And again, just was able to just learn so much being on the agency side. Um, after that, then I decided, wow, I want to see what people do with the information I provide them. There, there were a couple of moments and a couple of signals I got where I would put my blood, sweat and tears and coming up with a report based on all the research we did. And I would give them my, my presentation or my deck and, and, and they'd be like, thank you. Okay, now I'm going to go do what I need to do with it. And I heard that enough to be like, I want to do what, what you're trying to do with it. Right. Yeah. Like there was this moment mm -hmm. of like, wow, I'm, I'm putting something together for you. Get the, you're taking and doing something else with it. I want to be able to give you what you actually need. Um, yeah. And then it became clear to me that the best way to do that would be to go on the client side. So then I went to the client side and I continued to do market research on the client side um, and really wanted to understand how is the information used. And at that point, I had the, um, the pleasure to go to a company that actually had market research as part of the customer experience team. And that's then where I grew up and learned so much. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great uh, background. Thank you, Hyla. Yeah, it's funny. There, a couple things occurred to me. Number one, uh, I understand now why you and our CEO, Mona Patel, get along so well, given your backgrounds, um, you know, coming from psychology and, and the like. Um, and then also, I can completely relate having had prior history working both in-house and as well as now within an agency situation, uh, you know, you put your blood, sweat and tears into, uh, you know, trying to deliver these insights and then you pass it along and then you don't really get to see it come to fruition. Not, not always. Uh, you, you try to do your best. Uh, and then on the other side, you know, being able to help kind of shepherd that through, uh, it is a, it is a fairly long tale, but, uh, it, it can be rewarding, uh, you know, if you're able to kind of get to that finish line. It occurs to me that, uh, you, you know, there's quite a bit of learnings and experiences that, that you've, you know, kind of gathered from that. And, you know, you brought up, brought up about, you know, learning about people and then acting on the information. That's really fascinating. And then your evolution to do people do with that information. So in terms of, you know, any other key learnings or experiences from your, from your history up to this point, is there anything else that you would add to that? I think there are, um, I mentioned that when I went to the first client side, role that I landed in the customer experience team. And yeah. that's where, again, I mentioned 
that I learned so much as being part of the customer experience team, where at one point I started applying the customer experience principles to my work yeah. um, in the sense of as I'm putting together decks, how would I, if I was, you know, again, taking the CX principles, how would I put together a deck that would be the most compelling way to communicate what I was finding in the research? And what I learned was two things. One is like all the, well, I didn't learn them, but I was exposed to all the CX principles and um, being able to try to apply those because I'm not a designer, but trying to be able to apply those. And then also seeing how compelling, even though my background was more quantitative, seeing how compelling the qualitative research presentations were in the sense of storytelling. And I know now we talk about storytelling all the time and that's become a thing. Um, but that was my first moment of that aha moment about how do I, instead of putting up a pie chart with a 48-52 split, how do I tell the story of the data? Um, and so that, that, that was my first aha and almost awakening around that and the importance of that. And that was many years ago. Yeah. And, and I know in, in terms of the work that we had been doing with you in the past, that was a big topic. And yes, granted, it's something that has become, as you mentioned, a thing, but it still doesn't make it any less important to really focus on around thinking about that end consumer, whether they're an internal partner or uh, otherwise. And then, you know, how, how can you effectively help them? Uh, you know, kind of retain the information and then, as you mentioned, act on it. I guess jumping off of that, I'm wondering, you know, as you as you mentioned, you, you've kind of you know, arrived at some different realizations over your career. Describe for me what your uh, your best self is when you're kind of operating at all cylinders, uh, you know, kind of in the roles that you've, you've uh, had up to this point. It's a great question. I think for me, I feel like I am my best self and working on all cylinders when I feel like I am working on behalf of my customer, whether that's an internal customer, like a partner, a stakeholder, or ultimately both of us, therefore, working on behalf of our end customer. That's when I feel like I'm my best self. And, and truly, I feel that way when I'm co-creating and both with the end consumer, but also collaborating with my stakeholders. And we all have that shared goal. And that's what we're working towards towards and then leveraging both insights right so all the stuff we're learning connecting the dots between qual quant being whether it's qualitative interviews market research um, behavioral analytics bringing that all together and allowing the underlying consumer needs to emerge and understand those and internalize those that's one half of it but truly collaborating with my business partner in terms of thinking through and leveraging their expertise and then us together collaborating on what, how do we solve for the consumer problem, the customer's problems and the customer's needs, leveraging both of our expertise based on what they know and based on what I know together, that's when I, I'm my best self in terms of building on each other. And, and you know when that moment happens and that's just your focus is on what do we need to do on behalf of the customer that makes sense for them and for what we're trying to accomplish as a business. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And, and I can completely relate, you know, trying to kind of get to that moment where everybody's, as uh, you know, some of our colleagues here talk about being in the same boat and with all the oars rowing in the, in the same direction with a, a point or a goal in mind, uh, you know, it, it makes it all worth it. And, and you really do feel like everybody's contributing. The other thing that, 
that you mentioned that just struck me, which again, you know, as a, as a co-collaborator, you were really kind of at the top of the list is just that yes and mindset, you know, kind of stealing a little bit from the impro- improvisational field that, you know, when in the past, when we were working on, on, on a project, you know, there was that opportunity for me to share an idea, you to say yes and, and how about this, or, you know, kind of shift the, shift the ideas in different directions to make sure that the end result or the end audience was really uh, the most receptive to what we had to deliver. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm just wondering, so how do you get yourself to that, uh, you know, to that state where you're, you're able to kind of bring your A game as it well, it, it's funny because you just reminded me of um, I, another like key learning or like reframe or something. I don't know what mm-hmm. to call it, but I do remember the moment like there was a moment when I had to realize that you when you ask for collaboration, you have to really want collaboration. Very and sometimes true. people say they want to collaborate, but they actually don't. They just want to <laughs> tell you their idea and everyone to say what a great idea that is. And I actually had that moment and I will never forget it. Like I went into a meeting and I had this, I was so excited about an idea and I walked in and I said to everyone, like, here's an idea. I want to collaborate or I don't even know if I use the word collaborate, but I want to share my idea with you. And I was so excited. And so I shared it and, and I said, I want your feedback. I shared it and boy, did I get feedback. And I remember walking out of that meeting feeling so deflated, so deflated. and like, oh my gosh. And I got to the point of like, oh, my team is so unsupportive and all this type of stuff. And they, you know, they don't want to innovate. And I just started blaming them. And then as I was like halfway down the hallway, it kind of dawned on me that in reality, I didn't want collaboration in that moment. I just wanted them to tell me what a great idea it was. Yeah. And, and that was an important realization for me because <laughs> it's sure. like there, there are times when you do want people just to tell you it's a good idea and you have to tell them that, but don't ask for collaboration unless you really want it. And what collaboration means is what you're saying is a yes and. That just becomes the starting point. And that's what collaboration actually means. You want uh, other people to build on your ideas. And if at any point in that conversation, you're starting to feel like you don't want someone to build on your ideas, just know that. And that's okay. But then uh, still allow the creativity and the co-creation to happen. That's and true growth. frankly, it's an opportunity to ask why. Yeah, no, that, that it takes a it takes a while. It's it's really funny for you to mention that. I think any creative uh, or person in this field uh, has kind of gotten to that point, whether it be earlier in their career or even in in school, where you, you think just sharing the idea is almost kind of the mic drop moment, where everybody's going to really kind of shower you with praise. But uh, as you mentioned, you have to be prepared. You have to walk in with uh, a thick skin or a willingness to be able to you know, work together to make that idea or a better one. Uh, and absolutely, uh, having, you know, been in m- multiple sports teams and different things of, of that nature, it's been always my objective to work side by side with people to get to that same, that same goal, all, all ors going in the same direction. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a realization. I think we all have to get to at some point, um, some later than others, but <laughs> I'm glad you got there. And it's always been a pleasure to speak with you. Moving along in our conversation here, I guess, you know, kind of going into that, if there's a, a challenge that you can really spotlight, and you've touched on a couple, I think, a little bit, but uh, digging in just a little bit deeper on what, what your challenge was, whether it be on, you know, CX, UX, uh, research side, um, and, you know, how did you first see the challenge? How did it help you see things differently? Um, just be curious to kind of, you know, peek into into your world there. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I think this goes back to kind of my passion around um, how do people process information and act on information, was this realization that as much as I'm trying to do that on behalf of a customer and understanding their needs and, and understanding their behaviors so then I can help um, companies make the best strategic decisions, it's also the realization that it's people in the room as well who you're even sharing the information with. So realizing that when people are walking into the room, and this is what I mean about like internal company, like internal partners, again, you might want to walk in there and share this amazing insight or share this like debunking an assumption that the whole company had or this completely new idea for where to take the direction of the product. And as, as true or as exciting as all three of those could be, you have to um, also have empathy and recognize where the, your audience is and what meetings they just came out of or their goals or their strategies or what meeting they're going into next. And so again, that's just become something that I've really started to think more and more about. It's how do I create that that um, that right and that I I don't know the right word like and it's not receptiveness because that that implies that they're not open to hearing it, but it's but how do you create create a scenario or in the environment where the work you're doing can be integrated into their their work seamlessly either in the moment or in a few months or is it about creating a deeper understanding about what you found or is it about helping them internalize what you found or is it about you know getting them to believe in in in, in their decisions or creating confidence in what we found in the research and so i think for me it's just how do you create that the insights that 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 were found in the research in, in a way that the people in the room it's most valuable to them either in the moment or in a few days or in a few months. And recognizing that everyone might be in a different place in their in that moment based on what they just came from and what needs to happen next. And this is not a challenge I necessarily have solved for, <laughs> but it's just more of, it's a challenge I give myself as I am thinking through how might I present new information, information that they already think they know or you know, information that they already know. And so that's just the challenge I put on myself whenever I put together a research presentation or I talk about research um, with any project. That's that's great. Yeah. And it's funny, you just, just touching on your approach or your process there uh, kind of goes back a little bit to the the idea of best self. Um, you know, how do you get yourself there and, you know, giving yourself challenges uh, or just objectives on, you know, how you're going to approach the situation, visualizing it ahead of time, thinking about the participants in the room, whether they be uh, end customers or, you know, internal stakeholders or partners, uh, you, you know, that's a a really amazing and, and great piece of advice. Uh, you know, we talk a lot internally here at Motivate uh, around, you know, the EQ and IQ of things. And it sounds like you're touching on a little bit of that as well around, you know, just understanding, you know, those around you, understanding how, you know, what what state they're in, how they can be most receptive. And that is as, as important, if not more so in a lot of cases, when you're delivering insights or delivering any kind of conceptual direction to people to make sure that that they are in a place where they are 
ready and willing to you know take it and run with it um and and then go from there and then as you mentioned being being willing and prepared to you know to accept and receive feedback in order to make it better uh if it if it doesn't hit your your expectations or theirs yeah can i share another story because um you kind of hit on something too that sure. that that's helped me a little bit um again i'm talking about like way you know early on in my career um but i just remember early on in my career i thought my job as a market researcher is as prep for a presentation was to anticipate and try and be ready for any question that may come up in, mm. in the presentation so i would like go through the data completely immerse myself in the data just be ready for any possible question and so then I would, and I measured my success from a presentation of whether I answered any question that came up in the room. That's how I measured my success. Sure. Sure. And then again, I had this aha moment where how unfun must it be in that room where here I am presenting, I get, I, I've got my whole script. I want to talk at you guys. I say, does anyone have any questions? people start asking me questions and I'm like, answer, bam, answer, bam, answer, bam, answer, bam. And it, and it, it struck me of, well, then why are those people in the room if it's all covered, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so versus realizing that, and I kind of reframed it, my job is not to give them information. It's about getting to a point of a conversation about what we found. So therefore, I started again thinking about my presentations as how many slides do I have to make before someone is willing to ask me a question so we can start the conversation about the findings versus me getting through my presentation so then I can just give them more answers. Sure. And yeah. that changed everything for me. <laughs> Not only did I stop over preparing, because as you can imagine, I probably did like 20% more work than I needed to. But it also made the presentation more engaging. I learned more because I heard and I was able to witness what their questions were, right? And it helped me know like what, what was going on in their brain and what they were thinking and how they were thinking about applying it. And then finally, they started internalizing the information or I think they were because once you start like asking questions about information, that's when it's, it, it changes, right? Something happens in, in our own brains around now I'm starting to act on the information and drawing connections and thinking through the implications. So again, for me, that, that was a big moment for me to kind of how might I think about um, research presentations differently as more of a conversation and that I am just trying to create the, the springboard to the conversation versus tying it up in a bow and being done. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's it, it makes me think that maybe you know, early in your career, uh, you were kind of still in that academia mo mode, where yeah. uh, you know, kind of cramming for a test or um, you know that type of thing, uh, where you know as you go along, you realize that while all those those skill sets are important, they need to be used in different ways. And as you mentioned, which it kind of reminds me of some of the advice that I try to give some of our team members, designers, uh, and the like that work here, is that you know. The people that we're working with are looking to you to be the expert. They don't necessarily, so they need to understand your thinking behind it in order to 
you know, really kind of buy into it. So n- not too dissimilar from what you were talking about, you need to be able to, as you mentioned, you know, thinking about the people in the room, how can I best engage with them in a human way rather than you know, just spouting out answers. Um, yeah, that's the, I feel like that's the definition of everyday reframe. So thank you for, for sharing that. That's, that's really great. <laughs> well, and, well, and also like, it, it was an interesting realization that just because I chose what information to put up there and to emphasize may not actually be the most important information for the people in the room. So let them have their own exploration experience. And that's where I really quote unquote demonstrate my quote unquote expertise with the knowledge is that I'm able to answer their questions fluidly or again even say to them because you know before it was about answering their question but actually you know and and I think well I mean in some cases they would ask a question that I didn't know the answer to and that's great right like there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) yes it's a challenge and it it teaches me something um so I think like before it was more it, it felt like more I was about like trying to control the conversation. So I filled up all the space, but then letting it go and being okay with hearing and, you know, being open to having a conversation about it, which could mean we get to the edges of my knowledge, but that's okay because then that creates new knowledge. Absolutely. It's growth. Yeah. It, it kind of makes me think a little bit about my earlier career as, uh, you know, kind of starting out in graphic design and moving into, you know, various roles around uh, interaction and UX and, you know the evolution of of our industry around uh, you know like in the interactive and web space and you know digital et cetera. You know starting out, there was really no no research whatsoever. So I would be asked to create some type of you know web page or something uh, to that effect, and it was almost designed for design's sake, uh, not really kind of thinking about that end user, yeah. uh, not really kind of going off of any uh, any kind of core customer information or knowledge, really just trying to make it look pretty, uh, where I always felt like there was more to more to the process, more to, you know, kind of build off, off of so that, uh, you know, any kind of creative isn't starting with a blank slate. They have a wealth of resources to understand and grow from. So, you know, that, that you know, kind of being able to bring that to the table and then learn and grow from that in order to iterate and build on, on concepts to make products and end solutions much more palatable to, you know, to the customers that we're, we're trying to kind of deliver to is just really a, a, been a great th- thing. And I think runs a little bit parallel to what you're talking about. I wanted to kind of get into you and, and what your motivator, uh, who, who, who motivates you in your life? Um, you know, so it could be a person, it could be a place or an event, but you know, what are the kind of the things that really kind of drive you? It, it, it sounded like, uh, you know, you've touched on it a little bit around, around people, but I'd just be curious to see if there was anything else you wanted to share there. This one's a hard one for me because I feel like I'm about to give a platitude, but it truly is the case. Um, mm-hmm. It is like, it truly is the customer. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's my center. Um, if, if all else are, around me feels chaotic and there's a lot of projects going on, a lot of decisions that need to be happening, a lot of all those different things that can kind of like different questions are coming our way, different deadlines, different projects. Should we do it this way? Should we do it this way? These two people, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I feel like if if I always just go back to um, from the customer's perspective, it's where I get grounded. Yeah. And what motivates me personally is when I feel that strong connection to a customer, 
um, or to customers' needs. And that just allows me to feel like I'm on the right path, not in a way that I'm blinded by everything else, but at least grounded as that is my starting point as like my own personal why I'm doing this. And then that helps me as I go on and as new information presents itself to assimilate and accommodate that new information based on where I started. So for me, that's what both grounds me and keeps me going because it allows me to like, well, why, why would we do it this way? Why wouldn't we do this way? It allows for the nature of the conversation to change a little bit when you are in a room and different people have different perspectives. Um, it, it's just for me to go back to that, but I don't use it as a way to like, hey, I know what the customer thinks. So ergo, we have to do what I say. In fact, I prefer it when there's a lot of people talking on behalf of the customer. So then we're all operating from that perspective. So for me, um, that's my, my like, that is my motivation. Um, and it's how I ground myself. And if I don't feel like I'm doing it on behalf of the customer, then it stops me. Or it gives me also, sometimes I, it, it creates like almost like I'm the conscience of the customer. Like what would the customer, like, like, would we want to tell our mom about this? Would we right, be proud right. to talk to people about what, you know, the decisions that we're making, that type of thing. So that is my true motivator when it comes to <laughs> um, work type of stuff. Of course, in my personal life, there's other motivators. I don't want people to think <laughs> that I'm only thinking about the customer. <laughs> but, but, but when it comes to that, that's my true motivation is like, am I really solving a, a customer need? Am I making customers feel heard? Um, that type of thing. No, that's great to hear. And and I think it's perfectly acceptable for you to use that as an answer. Uh, it Number one, it tells me that you're in the right space. <laughs> um, yeah, true. And, and also, um, it, it reminds me of the fact that no matter what field you're in, uh, you know, in your position, that uh, whether it be you know selling a you know, physical product or a digital product or uh, anything you know finance pharma whatever it may be that at the end of the day this is all about connecting with humans uh, in a way that that they can find find value and meaning behind um, you know corny at times uh, but I certainly find that as being something that I go back to time and time again just asking myself you as you mentioned which I think you put so uh, appropriately you know kind of finding my why um, you know it kind of just is the is the center from which you can kind of then build off of and make sure that there's a there's a truth behind and genuineness behind what the decisions that you're making right and if you feel uncomfortable then then you know lean into that and understand why yeah absolutely uh, so and encourage other people to do it too like like that's the <laughs> other part too that sometimes i i see you know like it's not just about you being the one to say something it's it's, it's giving everyone else space to be like this doesn't feel right or this feels amazing we need to do more of that kind of thing too so that's another role i'd like to play or that's hope that, that that's the you know kind of the opposite of, of of being motivated is to try and you know kind of challenge and motivate others uh, it gets into the whole idea or ethos of being a part of a team, you know, be, being that person yes. that can say yes and or challenge each other. It's uh, it's it makes things really great and fun to fun to work on. So I think that's about it. I want to thank you so much for your time. I wanted to see if there was any closing advice that you might have for people to help shift their perspectives, uh, not only in kind of their own personal uh, career goals, but in general. Uh, it's, it sounds like you've you've had a, a number of different experiences um, that 
that have kind of helped shape and give you insight. Uh, so we're always looking to try and do that for others. Um, I'm thinking about that one. I, I think for me, it's about believing. And um, once you feel like you are working on behalf of the customer and you make a decision, believe in it and go for it. You'll have the opportunity to test and learn whether it works to optimize it. But once you're willing to make that decision, you've connected with the customer, believe in it, and then give it your all and design it in a way that you can learn as you go. But, but you've been working on behalf of the customer. They've trusted you, now trust them and believe, and then just give it your all. Um, I, I don't know, that's something that's typically hard to do, but I, I, I do think that's extremely important. And because like you said, they're human too. And all they want to know is that you're doing your best that you can and on behalf of them. And as long as they feel heard, then that's important. Really great advice. I don't know if that's I, the best advice. I don't know, but, but that's what I that's what I feel. That's what I believe. <laughs> no, I, I I can't argue with it one bit. It's certainly something that I try to subscribe to, and it's just uh, it's really great when you're able to find that connection, which it sounds like you've been able to do in a, in a number of different ways in in your past roles. So. Um, just once again, thank you so much for your time here today, Hyla. And I just, uh, I guess in closing, is there is there a place that people can find you social media wise if they wanted to reach out? Um, I am on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, so I've got a pretty unique name. So find <laughs> me there. And um, again, I am always open to learning and hearing about how other people solve these challenges. I know I'm not alone. Um, and, and also solve the exciting things that, that the people in this industry or the people who are so passionate about people are constantly thinking about and applying them to new situations. So I love hearing about different research techniques. I love hearing about how people are working together and stuff like that. So I would love to hear more from others too. So reach out. Yes, please, by all means, it, it, it's great to, to challenge and be challenged. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again, Hyla. And uh, we definitely look to hopefully talk to you again soon. Thank you. So there you have it. It was really great to have a conversation with Hyla. I know I mentioned a couple times that we'd worked together on a project last year. And I can truly tell you that collaborating with Hyla was one of the great joys. Even though a lot of our initial conversations were remote, as was this interview, when I got a chance to meet her in person, she was so warm and engaging. And the idea of collaboration really came true in its truest sense when we were able to be on site together, working through the logistics of planning a, a large event that helped facilitate overall learnings and empowering researchers who are used to gathering ideas and insights together and putting it into a report, but actually helping to reframe that idea to help those people tell better stories. And that was really the main objective for what we were working on. Uh, the thing that I mentioned at the outset of the interview was the conversation that Hyla and I had, unfortunately not recorded, around what her definition of reframe actually meant, which I will work into future interviews where that is part of the conversation. But the thing that where she got into talking about reframe was kind of funny and interesting just to see where she came from. 
She thought of Reframe as something almost analogous to the movie Over the Top, which some of you may or may not be aware of. It's a movie from, I guess it was the late 80s, maybe early 90s, starring Sylvester Stallone. He served as a, a, a arm wrestler, <laughs> which is kind of funny thinking about it. Uh, but it was a, a, a big movie, and Sylvester Stallone, he's at the, at the apex of the movie, He's, he's challenging people to arm wrestling competitions, and he had kind of almost this alter ego where he would turn his hat around to really kind of get in the zone. So if you picture Hyla, uh, you know, getting in the zone and then attempting to reframe, as Sylvester Stallone is is in the grips of struggling with this comp- uh, opponent to try and win the arm wrestling battle, the opponent is is beating him. He changes his grip just ever so slightly to kind of get an advantage. And that, that grip or that repositioning of the, of the hand actually gives him the ability and the leverage to then win and go, as it were, over the top. So I just really love the visual, the, the connection to a, a, a movie that is, you know, you know, probably 25 plus years old. But just the whole idea and the visualization of that is so true to a lot of people's struggles where if they're running into a, ch- a challenge or some type of an obstacle, you know, the idea of reframing is sometimes the furthest thing from your mind. You're at the precipice of, of admitting defeat, and then all of a sudden you're able to either by your own self or through others, look at the opportunity, reframe it, and then push forward. And it was just a really great idea that Hyla presented to me that is completely different from what my definition of reframe is, where it's essentially, you know, I guess, not too far off from, from the movie where uh, Sylvester Stallone is turning his hat around. I'm actually thinking about changing hats to jump outside of myself, uh, you know, get at, getting outside of my own ego to then see it in somebody else's shoes. That's, I guess, fairly standard uh, interpretation of that. But I'm really looking forward to, in future interviews, to talking to other people to see what their interpretation might be. So with that, I want to really thank all of you for listening and spending the time with me and my guest, Hyla. Thank you so much, and I encourage you to unlock the potential in yourselves and in others. Bye.